You are listening to the Social Workers Rise podcast. This episode is brought to you by the Rise Directory, connecting clinical supervisors to the next generation of mental health providers. Are you a clinical supervisor? Then you are invited to join us as one of the founding members. Tap the link in the show notes for more details. Hello, my name is Katherine Moore, social worker, mom, coffee lover, and founder of Social Workers Rise, where we inspire social workers to connect, expand their knowledge, and change more lives than they ever thought possible. I'm so excited you found my podcast. We will talk everything social work on every level from micro to macro. We will hear the stories of social workers who are doing big things, learn new skills, and most importantly, give you actionable steps to make a difference today. Let's go. Hello, welcome to another episode of Social Workers Rise. It is your host, Catherine here. This week, we're talking about a topic that is near and dear to a lot of our hearts, and that is passing the clinical social work exam. If you have ever studied for these exams or thought about taking them and looked into everything that is required to even take the exam, I know you feel my pain. (laughs) And a lot of times we don't pass the test in the first try. There are so many different factors that go into a successful test. And let's just be real, we don't all pass it the first time. No shame in that. Today, we're going to listen in on an interview that we did with Shara Ruffin. She gets super vulnerable and shares her own personal story about how she had to overcome her anxiety, trauma, She learned she had ADHD in this process, a learning disorder, and now she has flipped her struggles into her strength. She's really become a leader in the test prep world for social workers. She has an amazing group on Clubhouse. It's free, has about a thousand people that are in it, and every week there's about 100 to 150 people in this room focused on preparing for the clinical licensure exam. So her story is so inspirational. inspirational. Can't wait for you to hear it. Also, be sure to stick around to the end because I also did not mention that Shara is an expert on LinkedIn and she shares some really great tips on how you can grow your personal brand on LinkedIn and ways that you can use the platform to authentically connect to other people in your industry. So I'm so excited for her. She has so many great things going on. She's writing three books. She's getting her website done. She has the clubhouse. She is completely booked up for her individual coaching and she's helping so many people pass those exams. So with that, let's hop right into this. Hi, Shara. Hello. 
Thank you so much for joining me on the Social Workers Rise podcast. I'm so excited to talk with you today. I'm excited to speak with you, fellow colleague. (laughs) Yes, yes. So I first came to actually see your name floating around on social media on, I believe it was LinkedIn and Clubhouse. Is that where you're most active at? Yes, it's between Clubhouse. I mean, LinkedIn was my home and then Clubhouse became my home. Now it's both my home. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah, because I I reached out to you after hearing one of your Clubhouse rooms and just essentially fangirling about how awesome your LinkedIn is. (laughs) Oh, thank you. And getting some tips on that. Um, But I also see that you are expanding and you have your own business now. Yes, I do. It's it'll I'm going to get it registered at LLC next month. Oh my Um, gosh, so exciting. I'm very excited (laughs) about it. And I'm in the middle of writing a book based off of my 10 year journey to the LCSW. Um, So I'm just I'm so excited because I would have never thought someone to tell me uh, right out of grad school that this would be happening a decade later I would have laughed at them <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> like oh god what are you smoking <laughs> but I want some of that so yeah right <laughs> yeah that's awesome yeah thank so, you so can you give us a brief overview of your 10-year journey and then how did that turn into your own business oh my gosh so <sighs> Okay, I guess I would have to start with just um, <laughs> the now. So Journey to Licensure is my business. It is a professional development and wellness coaching and also a tutoring company for bachelor, master, and clinical level social workers. So one arm of my business is I do individual coaching, which I basically um, do holistic wellness. I do an individualized study plan. I do a self-care wellness plan because it, it became really pivotal for me to want to focus not just on the test. That's one little piece. Mm-hmm. You're, you have the all your, your rest of your life that you're fighting with while you're going through the study process. Um, and that basically came out of my own journey of how long it took me to get my LCSW and life just happened. I didn't get my LCSW um, right away. It took me 10 years because of all the things I went through to get there. So just to give you a quick little timeline, um, 10 years ago, I graduated from Howard University School of Social Work. And after that time, I was also engaged to a a young man at the time we were supposed to get married. We were in a six-year relationship. We broke up, which was heart-wrenching because it was, you know, I'm 24 at the time. And um, (laughs) that was a significant part of my, my youth um, earlier part. And I was with this guy for that long. And when it didn't work out, my heart was broken. Um, along with that, after graduate school was over with a year later, I decided to take my master level license. I missed it by three points. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Devastating. Um, and then I said, screw this. I'm just going to work for a while. I was living in DC at the time. So, um, and I'm from originally from Philadelphia. So I decided to, I'm going to go ahead and look at this exam again, two years later. Um, at the time I was only diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder and a learning disorder. Uh, I was diagnosed at the age of 21 Mm -hmm. and 
I didn't really know what part that would play in testing. Lord and behold, I'm not a good test taker. Oh, man. <laughs> so 2013, I take the exam and I pass it by 15 points. Yay. So yay, I do it. <laughs> and, and then then life kicks in. I thought I'd find a man in my dream. I get married. It was a military marriage. Um, and it was a very hard one just because we, me and my ex-husband spent a lot of time apart. Um, and I gave birth to a stillborn daughter during the time he was over in his, um, over in Kabul, Afghanistan, which was devastating. Um, and it, it was very hard because mm-hmm. he was away and I, um, <laughs> was really struggling. So when he came back, we, we went through grief counseling, but it was one of the, the, I want to say pillars that kind of broke the marriage apart. Um, mm-hmm. after that, I gave birth to a medically compromised son. Um, so I gave birth to my son, Jaden, who at six months needed kidney surgery. Um, but he got kidney surgery. But at the time, I am a full-time outpatient therapist. My marriage is falling apart. Um, and I am just really going through uh, depression postpartum because I had to go back to work four weeks postpartum. And with this depression, my marriage falling apart and not knowing where to go, trying to keep my marriage together, even though there's no way in the world it would work because my husband is states away. He's in Tennessee and in Philadelphia. And it was really hard because I felt like a single mother married, but I was an um, army wife and I was nowhere near a base. So I couldn't, I didn't have the type of supports that m- normal military wives would have. So nonetheless, fast forward, um, 2015, I'm managing single motherhood postpartum depression, anxiety, trauma, uh, working on a full-time job as a professional and working on my clinical hours. So my marriage was falling apart. This is uh, in 2015. And I was really struggling because my son was going through a lot of medical issues. I worked at a job where it was about two hours away in commute, two hours there and two hours back. I didn't have a car, so I had to use public transportation. I was going through um, a very hard time because my marriage was falling apart. I was living with family. It was basically like a single mother um, and having to take care of this baby who depended on me, but I didn't have my partner. He was uh, states away from me, um, and it, which was really hard because he was working on retiring. So it was pretty rough. I, was, I went through postpartum depression, almost giving up, up for adoption because of that depression. Um, thank God I, I, he's still here and that didn't mm-hmm. happen, but my depression was that hard on top mm-hmm. of dealing in a job that was uh, pretty heavy. I worked in an outpatient therapist facility, uh, partial hospitalization program, and because I was a licensed social worker, I could bounce from any level of care at any time. So I was holding a group um, of 40 patients doing group modality. Um, so I'm doing partial day program with long-term mentally ill patients. However, at any given time, not only did I have those patients to deal with, I also had my acute and ILP patients that I had to deal with. Because if a psychotherapist on that side of the building was not there or present, I had to go fill in with them. So two different types of notes, two, two or three different life different uh, levels of Claire. Very stressful. I did that for about seven years. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so if you could just turn, talk about burnout, I love that job because it taught me a lot. I gained a lot of specializations, uh, which I, I was able to take with me, but it, it was exhausting. And it, was, it went from a public hospital to a private hospital. So their documentation became just horrendous um, in the expectations that they would put on us. And it was just high turnover of that. Um, but nonetheless, anxiety, trauma, working full-time as a mental health professional, and then working towards my clinical hours. 
while my personal life is just a wreck. And then my military marriage, 20, um, military divorce, 2016, November, 2019, let's fast forward. I finally, finally get a chance to take my exam. I miss it by two points. <laughs> yes! Devastated. Oh God, this was really bad. This hit really hard. And the reason why is because my, I had a friend that I coached right after I failed and she passed, which is kind of the precursor to what I do now, right? She passed with like, I coached her for like three weeks and she passed. I was like, isn't this, this is, (laughs) this is just God playing with me. And um, I, I fell into kind of a depression because I, I thought, you know, I'm a clinical, you know, I wanted to be, I'm a micro track. Um, I, I need the LCSW to do anything that I want to do independently. I was just ready to move on. Um, and then the pandemic hits. So right before the pandemic hits about two weeks before that, I went fighting with my board to get accommodations because I'm, I was told that accommodations would help. And because of my, so I went up to my old college. I went to Lock Haven University of Pennsylvania. And mind you, I haven't stepped on in campus about 14 years. And so the reason why I had to, went up to the school, and it's about nine hours away from me. Um, so my boyfriend drove me up to that school because there was a neuropsychologist that had evaluated me at 21. And she said, you know, I can give you a cheaper evaluation to see if you have ADHD. And I was like, well, I don't know if I have ADHD, but sure, why not a good tested for it? And um, plus my neural psyche about that is to be wanted from accommodations were, was 10, over 10 years old. Mm. So nonetheless, I got the updated evaluation for cheap. It's like 500 bucks compared to what I would have paid in Philly, like over a grand. And she's like, yeah, you've got ADHD. I am so sorry. I wish you would have got <laughs> diagnosed sooner. You have probably had to work hard most of your life academically. And I said, uh, hell yeah. Um, my brain, my, my poor brain and memory shot the hell. So <laughs> um, I got the diagnosis and I sent it as WB. They end up giving me accommodations. Great. So I got an accommodation of one extra hour and an extra uh, an extra room to be by myself. So, so accommodations go in, but then the pandemic hits. Oh, so oh. my test gets pushed back, keeps, keeps getting pushed back, keeps getting pushed back to almost exactly one year, two days to the day that I failed. <laughs> um, during that time in March, I had lost my job because I was working as a contractor. I didn't want to do therapy work. I had ended my um, therapy job in August of 2019. And I said, I just need to work, so get, make some money while I'm getting ready for this test. Um, I didn't have health insurance and I needed to homeschool my son. So I'm, you know, homeschooling my son who's six, he's in kindergarten. Then I have two other children, 10 and 14, who are in my home, who I'm also having to take care of. And my boyfriend is working outside of the home. I watched my bank account dwindle. Um, I became very depressed and very anxious because I didn't have any money coming in and we needed mm-hmm. food. I mean, it was only so much that my partner could do. Um, so I applied for food stamps and I did end up applying for insurance. Um, but it, that wasn't until I think May or June, I I think I, I felt like, I don't know. I felt like I needed to fight with myself to advocate really for myself at that point. Um, and to work on coming out of my depression and just the virus was raging. I could have worked any social work job, but I was too scared. I didn't want to bring anything home to the kids or to my partner. Um, so I just stayed home. And so that was still hard. I live in Philadelphia. So not only is the virus going on, 
summer is hitting and then there's the summer riots, which were pretty bad in Philly. I know in some um, other urban communities that was a thing. And mm-hmm. so there were exploding ATM machines at night. People were trying mm-hmm. to blow up ATM machines that I could hear at nighttime. There was a lot of shootings and uh, increase in homicide rates, uh, which hasn't changed. <laughs> but um, it, it was really, I was taking on a lot of what was going on in the news, the virus cases, everything just falling apart outside. I couldn't control anything but a video game. So I found comfort in Animal Crossing. I used to play video games <laughs> when I was little. Five months, all I did was play Nintendo Switch. That's it. That's all I did. Um, on top of dealing with kids, on top of um, dealing with extensive uh, psychosomatic symptoms related to my anxiety, I got horrible migraines every single day. I was taking a Excedrin mm-hmm. like Skittles, like six to seven of them to make the headaches go away. I literally would have to lay down. I thought there was something really going on in my head. When I went to the doctor and when I got insurance finally through the state, um, this was until June, they told me that we did a CAT scan. There's nothing going on. It's stress. It's your anxiety. And I was like, okay. So I ended up um, getting a psychiatrist and getting a therapist um, through my insurance. Um, and I ended up getting on medication for my ADHD and my anxiety. Um, when I did, everything started to kind of fall back into place. My self-care, my sleep got a lot better. Um, I was eating better. Um, at that point, and I had started treatment. It was the first time in my life I had ever been on medication, by the way. And um, I was like, well, wow, why didn't I do this before? Ironically, <laughs> I used to tell people, hey, take your meds. And, you know, mm-hmm. so nonetheless, I get on meds. I'm doing well. I take the exam um, and I pass by 20 points over the mark. Yes. <laughs> so, so, oh, so out of all that hell. So I, I was, I, I didn't even know what happened. I, I came to the test room at one thirty, came out at six o'clock and it was like, it was dark outside. And I was like, did I just, did I really pass? And mind you, this is during the presidential the craziness. So during the week I was watching the news and not sleeping. Like, okay, well, I gotta, I gotta see these numbers. I think everyone was watching it like the Super Bowl, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, with the ballots and Pennsylvania was a swing state. So the day that I passed, they were also trying to bond the convention center, which is right down the street from my testing center because oh they, people were counting the ballots and we were the last uh, state to make that pivoting decision in terms of electoral votes. So it was a high stress level all week, but I did pass and I was just ecstatic. So where my business came in is in January when I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? Go into private practice. Or am I going to um, go into a regular social work job? I had all the qualifications of uh, doing therapy from home. I was a board certified telemental health provider. Um, I had extensive credentialing in in different areas, ADHD, trauma, depression, um, mood, uh, personality disorders, um, mindfulness meditation, um, uh, military counseling, grief counseling. So those are some of my areas. And I was like, great. And I had to fight for it. So I actually forgot this piece, it's a little bit piece. The board certified telemental health provider exam, there's an actual comprehensive exam. So I took that exam in April. Um, I had to take it twice. It was an open book exam, but very comprehensive and similar to what you would do for the LCSW. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mind you, in the midst of all of that stuff I was going through, I would look up 
I knew I wanted to go into private practice. So I wanted to work on building my specializations, taking all my money that I had from tax return, besides buying me a Nintendo Switch, and, and putting that back into clinical skills building. Because um, I said, you know what, I am going to pass this exam no matter what. I just don't know when it's going to be, whatever. But I needed to, you know, keep that vision alive for myself. Um, but when I fast forwarding back to present day, January, you know, I take a break, go to Delaware House, to, uh, Delaware Beach House to celebrate with my family. And Clubhouse was a big thing. So I jumped on there and I shared my 10 year story that I'm giving you to the Social Work Cafe group. Um, and they were just climbing in terms of, I think, building a social work presence and a community for social workers. I told my story and I said, hey, I'm going to do some study strategy sessions about what I did to pass. So I did a couple of sessions in there every Monday. Um, and then as I kept keeping these sessions, they kept growing and growing. And more people started talking about, you know, the sessions and saying, and they were actually passing from just this little group that I was doing. Um, so I then I decided, you know what, maybe I should turn this into a club. So I, I think around the time was a February, March when Clubhouse opened up to say, hey, you can have your own club. I end up uh, doing a study strategy group for just the bachelor's, master's in clinical exam, no more than two hours on Clubhouse every Monday. I have a, I meet a friend, his name is Jaron, who is the co-founder of my business because he was the one who encouraged me to tell my story in the first place in January. And he's more of a, um, he's just more of a, someone to be my, uh, I guess, cheerleader. And so he's usually in a clubhouse room to support me. And now we're at about a, almost 100 members and it's growing even more. Um, people are talking about it in the Facebook study groups and they're literally people passing from just being in that group and getting that support. Um, we've had social workers from the bachelor's, master's, critical level um, pass. And I said, you know what, this is something, maybe this is my calling. Maybe I should, you know, take my story and turn it into business. And then I changed the group from study prep to journey to licensure, because I had to think about what was my why. This was my journey and mm -hmm. <laughs> it was built around my license. So that's what I called it. Um, and that's what it is today. So I now provide individual coaching. I'm about to launch a masterclass next week doing group coaching. And um, I had the clubhouse group and I'm also writing a book. So it's all organic um, in terms of how it's happening, but I would have never thought any of this. So yeah, that's a, that's the long winded version of my story. <laughs> Yes, that is quite a story and definitely inspirational to anyone listening who has struggled with passing the clinical exam. Just listening to your story, just know, don't give up. It is possible. I'm really excited because um, that... So that LinkedIn post of what I posted, that story, I'll never forget the night that I passed it hit 92,000 views. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> like, wow. What are people? And it kept going. It kept going. It's in my feature session in my LinkedIn profile. And I leave it there as a reminder that as I'm writing this book, which I'm at 61 pages now mm -hmm. <laughs> within a week, 
Um, I, I'm sometimes I struggle like do people you know imposter syndrome do people really need need this story do they need to hear it you know who am I just all those internalized battles you know that yep. sometimes we have with ourselves when it comes to fear yep. um, but then I look at those comments that, uh, and say Sharni someone needs to hear your story whenever I tell it in clubhouse which I do periodically um, about how I started my business and stepping out on faith and in the midst of starting with nothing um, you know and then now being paid for my services, watching my, I look and check my bank account, I'm like, oh, there's money there. Where did that come from? Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> and realizing that, you know, uh, my gifts serve a person that not just that it's about money, but giving, I've learned so well through LinkedIn that when you give people value, when you show up and tell your story of why you do what you do, it brings people, the right people to you. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And now that I actually have a niche, now um and I kind of put the the private practice on the back burner because I want to build this business first um I realized the power in just storytelling and being very vulnerable in that because so many people share the same struggles I had so many people reach out to me say oh my god you've given me the inspiration to keep going I've heard your story and even though it's not the same I you know I I struggled in my journey but I'm going to keep going because you if you did it then I can do it Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a lot of what I get now. Um, there was some lady on Instagram today. I told, I started doing Instagram lives and, uh, this, I got hit my first client just off of one Instagram live alone of telling that story. She's like, Oh my God, I want to learn more about you and what you do and how you can help me. So, um, yeah, everybody except for two people, um, has passed that I've worked with. Uh, those two people actually were one was two points away, the other one was three points away. Oh my and god! I'm working with them for free now to make sure that they pass. So uh, that's kind of where I'm at. It's not about just the money, but I really want people to pass these exams because it's it can be a barrier to you know building the type of social work career that you want. Period. Whether you're macro or micro. So yeah, it's, it's been a fun, exhilarating time. I'm enjoying it. It's a little tiring because of course, um, I feel like sometimes I'm spinning my wheels. I'm learning about negotiating pricing and, you know, um, learning how to work with the social media stuff on other platforms, not just LinkedIn. Um, but I changed my tagline on LinkedIn because before it was a lot of more inspirational content. Now I mix my personal branding content with business content, which you've probably seen that change on Instagram. Um, the, just learning, you know, the ticks and trades of, you know, how to elevate what I do, um, but also letting people know why I do it and just letting them see me um, in general. So it's, it's been a, it's been quite a ride <laughs> from LinkedIn until now. And it started yeah. in May, 2018. So, yeah. That's amazing. Um, one thing I wanted to just make sure that we're really that you started getting out there and sharing your story even before you had a niche. And it sounds yes. like by put- and trying all sorts of different areas and conversations, that is how you found your niche. Is that right? Yes. I didn't know I was doing before personal branding was like this buzzword that is now I didn't know I was doing it. At all. I, I got on LinkedIn at the time in May 2018 because I was, I was, I knew I was a year, about a half a year out from having my hours completed and I was just tired. I was burnt out. I loved my colleagues at work. I did not like the system that I worked in. Um, I was pretty drained and I knew I could help people outside of a place where pe- most people won't walk in, work, you know, walk into for help because of the stigma. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't know what that was, 
what that was going to look like. So I just started on LinkedIn telling my military story. That's the first post I did. And when I put that post up, I was like, oh, God, maybe this is too personal. But when I shared it, oh, my God. It, it like opened my, my world in terms of what LinkedIn could possibly be besides business. And I think at the time, LinkedIn was still a little businessy, but it was starting to slowly transform different types of content. And uh, I started building. Now, here's the kicker. Uh, as I started uh, sharing more, and this was just text posts, no video, um, <laughs> people started coming to me for uh, either inspiration or because I was sharing vulnerable stories because I'm very open in the sense that not only am I, you know, I was a mental health provider, but I share intimately why I was passionate about working in that field, not even just social work. I am someone that had ADHD, anxiety, um, extensive trauma and a learning disorder. Mm -hmm. And when people look at my page, they see all these Mm -hmm. accolades, they see all these letters behind my name and all of that. But I wanted people to see me as someone that has persevered and who has struggled and that these things that they see are just one facet of who I am. Um, And I think that's really what shined through on LinkedIn. I've gotten my first international speaking engagement through telling storytelling on LinkedIn. Um, I got a book coach, um, (laughs) mysteriously got a book coach who I didn't ask for um, in 2018. And he coached me for one summer and it led to 600 audio transcriptions and two books. Wow. Uh, that I didn't even know I had in me. And it was just weird because I'm not in contact with them now. It's so odd. It's like, you know, I felt like someone came into my life at a time that they, knew, they could see something in me and gave me what I needed and they just disappeared. It was mm-hmm. so weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, I met this LinkedIn giant um, about a year ago. Um, her name is Shawnee Murray. She has almost a million followers on LinkedIn. So I started following her. I'm like, who's this lady? And uh, she, I, she said, your profile is great, but no one knows you in a way that, you know, you could build trust and build your community. You need to let people see you. I was already sitting at, when I met her a year ago, 30,000 connections and following. Mm-hmm. And but she says, you're not using this community. You need to branch out. You need to be on video for 90 days. I said, what? Uh, <laughs> excuse me. Uh, 90 days uh, doing a video every day. Um, that's too much. And I didn't say anything. I said, sure. <laughs> Maybe she has the time to do this. I don't. And <laughs> But I trusted. I ended up getting on there. I said, what do I have to lose? So I got on there and started doing video. Oh, my God. When I started doing video, since that time up till now, my following has tripled. My community has doubled. People, whenever I get on like, uh, like uh, doing like little LinkedIn chats with people or video, there's like, I feel like I know you because I see you all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, people have seen me in hospital gowns. They've seen me <laughs> with my son. They've seen me in bed with him. Like he's, so he'll ask me, mommy, come in my twin bed, my car bed so we can you know, watch a movie together. People have seen me every day for a year in different capacities. And they literally look for me. If I don't post, they will, somebody will send me a message and say, hey, you didn't post a video today. What's going on? And I'll usually have to come on and say, I have a migraine. <laughs> I'll get back to you soon. Like literally, it's amazing what, when you build trust and people look for you every day, they expect mm-hmm. to see you. And it's a different type of connection. 
Um, so yeah, it, it's been an amazing ride. I can that, honestly say that. Does that put pressure on you though? Like, oh man, I got to talk today or no, know, no. no. What do you mm-hmm. talk about for 90 days straight? Like, <laughs> tell us. Um, I, some people plan their content. I don't, I never have. And I think that's probably, I mean, I plan my business content now. Like I use Hootsuite. You'll see those curated professional, um, uh, journey to licensure quote pieces that someone else builds for me, but I usually built my own story into them. You'll always see stories attached to my posts always, because that's, I, I do a lot of storytelling. Um, I wake up and I tell whatever's on my mind, like literally I, I don't. And that's something that I struggled with for a very long time. Um, there were days when I would post and I'm like, I, I'm like, I don't know what to talk about. But I, when, I know when I'm my most authentic self, when I share something that's on my mind mm-hmm. in the moment that I'm feeling. I had a friend of mine that um, got murdered two weeks ago. I shared that on LinkedIn because I was really distraught of all the homicide violence in Philadelphia. And um, because it was a young black man coming home from work at three o'clock oh, in the morning, no. um, he was shot twice and left for dead. Oh my gosh. So I, I was struggling with that. And, you know, someone is, is one thing to intellectualize, you know, but it's something else to feel. And I wanted to share that on LinkedIn and I got a lot of support, but I didn't do that. To, oh, I say, Oh, what was me? I did it because that is the reality of what's going on in our world right now. Yeah. So, um, so those are the things that I talk about It's when I do videos now, it's not, it's not perfect. It's not curated, but I think that's what people want to see out of this pandemic. People really want to connect to people, not your title, not what you do that comes later. Um, people need to be able to see you. And so many people <laughs> ask me, how do you, how do you just come on and, and speak? I said, it took, you know, practice confidence, talking to pretending you're talking with one person. I never think I'm talking to almost 40,000 people on LinkedIn. When I do my video, I pretend I'm talking to one person. That's it. <laughs> yeah. And it, so I, I still wonder like, how, why are people following me? And it triples every day. And I'm like, oh, okay. But you'd be amazed. You never know who's watching you. You just have to be consistent. And I think that goes with any platform that you use. Definitely. Yeah. I've, I tried, I tried um, scheduling out my posts too. And it just, it like, trying to sit down and be like, okay, let me write out seven posts. It just wasn't, I didn't like it. I didn't. And oh, so no, <laughs> I had somebody else do that for me. <laughs> <laughs> but now whenever I do post, it's genuine and authentic. Like today it's a national, um, you know, awareness day or whatever. So I'm like, you know, what do I, what can I speak on, on this subject? And then how can I tie my personal experience or how can I relate it back to, mm-hmm. you know, my career as a social worker or maybe what other social workers need or want to hear or what I needed to hear when I was first starting out. Yes, that's, that's so important. So what yeah. I'm getting from you, just to summarize, because you really gave some amazing tips for LinkedIn networking. It's just share your personal story, show up consistently don't be scared to be vulnerable. Um, speak what you're feeling and and speak what you're feeling as if you're talking to just one person. Yes, very, very. I, I think that's key. Um, and it's, you know, being vulnerable is, it's, it's going to be different for everybody. 
I mean, the most, <laughs> most uh, probably embarrassing put out there post I ever did was talking about how my husband had a baby during our marriage that I didn't find out until after the divorce. Um, there was a lady that reached out to me on Facebook and I shared this on LinkedIn and people, because of the way I framed it, people actually were very receptive to it. So I talked about uh, the power of forgiveness mm. and letting go of toxicity. And um, I said, I was on forgiveness. I was on a call with my ex-husband's mistress for five hours. They were like, what? What do you mean? <laughs> um, and uh, so she reached out to me. She said, I just want my, my daughter to know her other siblings. I was like, what? Uh, so we had a, a five-hour conversation and we laughed, we talked, we we just everything connected. And I was able to connect the dots about what was going on with my husband at the time. Um, it also let me know that, you know, when marriages fall apart, when relationships, you know, fall apart, when things fall apart in general, there's always a reason for it. Even if you don't see that reason right away, it may not be revealed to you until later, but there is a reason. And thank God I listened to my intuition on that one because it was a train wreck. And um, she's kind of cemented what I already knew, but can prove. Right. So, and best believe that's in my book. Yep, that's going to be in there. <laughs> yep, yep, dedicate that to him. Mm-hmm. I love it. Do you have a release date for your book? I'm looking at the end of the summer going into the fall, looking at a fall release. Okay. Okay. Well, when you, when you release it, let me know. We can have you back on the podcast. Talk about your book. Yeah, I would love to. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm in the throes of it now. So um, every day. <laughs> well, thank you so, so much for sharing all of this wisdom with us. Um, definitely follow Shara. The links are in the show notes and, you know, follow her on LinkedIn, on Instagram, on Clubhouse. Is that, are you anywhere else? Twitter. I haven't got this YouTube yet. So (laughs) yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Social Workers Rise. If this episode helped you, please help me spread the word by leaving a review wherever you listen to your podcast and share that you're listening. Tag me on social media. I love it. I will repost and reshare. I love it. Social currency is free, but it is so valuable. Also, I'd love to hear from you on Instagram. I really do respond. I really do love it when you give me your feedback. Lastly, This is not therapeutic advice or business advice or any other kind of personalized advice. To get that, you definitely need me as your coach. So please, again, reach out to me on Instagram. I can't wait till next week. I will see you then. All the love. Bye.